gentlemen welcome back to another hilarious episode of the midwest monsters <laughs> podcast hot toddy's already giggling i'm one of your hosts grizzly abner joined by my best buds professor wagstaff venomous Vinny, hot toddy good to be with you again folks this is another installation of the monster mash where each of us picks a movie and makes the others suffer through watching it <laughs> and uh we we hope that uh, these are some films that you enjoy listening to us talk about and that you endeavor to check out on your own. So, um, I'm Grizzly Abner, and I join... I, uh, I joined... joined. What did I join the film? Yeah. Pay your dues, buddy. Join the YMCA. Are now, you making the Devils 2 right now? <laughs> Devils 2, Electric Boogaloo. Um, no, I chose a little film uh, by director Ken Russell called The Devils. I picked Cujo. I picked Sleepy Hollow, Tim Burton's version. And I picked Grindhouse. Okay, very good. We have decided that we don't want to scare you all away from the podcast by starting with the devils. So we're going to start with another serious film. Cujo. Dates. Yes, another lighthearted one. Details, yes, absolutely. All right. Cujo, 1983, starring D. Wallace, Danny Pentarino. I can never say his name, I'm sorry. Yeah. Who's, who's the boss? Um... Angela? Yeah. Daniel Hugh Kelly, Christopher Stone, Ed Lauder, and directed by Louis Teague, who a couple years later would do Stephen King's Cat's Eye. And also did the cinematic Marvel Alligator. Yes. Um, based on uh, the book by Stephen King. Um, real quick, people's history with this film. You guys all seen this before? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen it before. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I saw this young enough to where it traumatized me when as a kid. Anybody read the book? I have not read the book. Negative. Okay, none of us have then. Okay, alright, so the basic setup for Cujo is we open the film with a dog chasing a rabbit, sticks his head down into a little tunnel and gets bit by a bat, which uh, I think even people who don't know the story of Cujo know that Cujo is a rabid dog. Uh, This is what Starts that. Uh, we then go over to our main family, uh, Dee Wallace and um, her husband and their kid, Danny Pentaro from Who's the Boss. Anyways, uh, we've got Dad, who is in advertising, dealing with a huge fiasco that's uh, happened with a campaign that they helped for marketing. And we've got car problems. Um, we take the one car out to a repairman we then see that this is where our dog is from the opening who's a good boy yes a good boy um and as things come up the father needs to leave town and mom d wallace donna has car problems with their other car so mm-hmm. she's got to take it out there well we also have the family uh where the mechanic is uh the rest of the family has left as well um so basically we end up in a very basic, straightforward, bottled-up horror scenario. Um, Mom goes out with the son to get the car looked at at the mechanic, and uh, 
upon the aggressiveness of the dog and the failure of the car. And we have no one out there because the owner is attacked and killed by his own dog, as well as his assistant. Um, and so we end up with mom trapped in the car in the beating sun, and uh, along with her son in there, and nowhere to go. And a rabid, big-ass St. Bernard dog who's having none of it. And that's our basic setup. Uh, for the film, it's... Um, Did you bring up Scandalous-Ass D. Wallace? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there's more plays on the uh, the drama at home. She is cheating with her, what, high school boyfriend? Is it that she has the past with? can't remember if that's spelled stud. out in the, in the film or not. But um, she is stepping out on her husband with this man, uh, who in real life was her husband. Yep. Um, also in the uh, bona fide classic, The Howling there and that together as well <laughs> he's bona fide <laughs> so uh but yeah so we also have the strain on them because uh the husband does catch them up in that he sees uh the i guess we'll call him the boyfriend chasing donna out to her car as he's driving by and uh it all comes spilling out between them um yes or no yeah, right. That's basically how I asked you. And then really the only other thing with the setup to point out that I left out um, is that the son is very afraid of monsters and the dark. We've got great segments of him trying to time getting the lights off and back into bed. He's terrified of his closet. And so you already have a kid who's who's being told by his parents, these things you're scared of aren't real. you got to stop. And then we've got him trapped in a car with a real-life monster yeah. wanting to kill him. Right. Um, so it really sets the table um, for for some true basic horror, and I think horror that's really not explored much anymore. Everything is elaborate now. Um, this is st- almost stage like. We've got our one setting in this car. So, um, what were your guys' thoughts on this film? Uh, I was going to say real revisiting? quick. Two is an important thing is is that Dad also has to leave to go out of town to, to fix his... His work life's falling yeah. apart, too. Right. So, so after the affair... Well, I had said that he left okay. work. Must not have been listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> do we need to do introductions smoke. again? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just going to come right out and say it. I'm sorry, Professor. This is going to upset you. No, I'm just going to come right out and say that uh, <clears throat> this movie was just not as effective for me because I feel like <clears throat> like a lot of Stephen King's movies. You're going to cry? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry. I just don't want to upset you. Um, I think like a lot of Stephen King's movies, if you did not see them young or when they came out, uh, because those tropes get so played out later through other films, not by any fault of Stephen King's, they're less effective when you see them later in life. And okay. so, But I will say in the same breath, though, had I seen this movie early on, it probably would have been just as effective for me as like Adam Green's Frozen. It's the same idea. It's right. run your characters up a tree, have them talk about how they're going to get out of the tree, get them out of the tree, right? So it's the same. It's 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 a standard in, in stage and, and film. Um, this one just didn't do a whole lot for me. It's not a bad movie. It just didn't hit me at the right time. Not everybody likes good movies. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched this movie in a while. I thought it still held up really well. Um, I wasn't, I think it's more of a suspense film to me now than it was as when I watched it was as a kid, it terrified me. Um, and not only that, but it's kind of true uh, King fashion where 
you have a rabid dog and that's what the story's about. But then there's also weird Stephen King stuff of like the little boy has a monster in his closet and um, which I haven't read the book, like looking into some stuff, there's some cool stuff. Uh, I definitely like to check out now where it connects other King stories with what might be in his closet. Um, but now it's weird too, because where it scared me thinking about a kid being trapped in the car as a child, now it's just like an adult thinking about what it would be like to be trapped in the car with your, your child and how to, how to get out of the situation. So I'm interested to hear what our father of the podcast has to say. Uh, I have seen Cujo before. I had not seen it when I was a kid. I was probably in my 20s when I saw it for the first time. Um, I've probably seen it three times, including this viewing in my life. Uh, I like this movie. I like this movie quite a bit. I I love the claustrophobia mm-hmm. of, of the movie. I think it's clever how it was shot inside of a small car. I agree. Which adds to the claustrophobia of it. Um, and this is more getting on the technical side of things uh, as I look back at it. I like the story as a whole. a big part in why it works. But the, technical part but the uh, being a parent and in that scene, it's terrifying. I mean, through the whole movie, that's a terrifying idea to be rendered completely helpless with your child in tow. And you know that safety is just feet away. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. You know there's a risk nearby. to take, but what are the odds that it's going to work? Yeah. Um, so that that is very effect, effective in and of itself. Um, again, on the other techno, on the technical side of things, I think it's amazing how they were able to change out a man in a dog yeah, costume, the quick cuts with several several dogs playing Cujo. Mm-hmm. Watching that movie, you would have never known. There's a no. great picture with D. Wallace, Lewis Teague, and the guy in the dog suit with his head off, acting like they're <laughs> dancing, like putting on the Ritz mm-hmm. all out in that parking lot together. <laughs> but it, it is remarkable that you never once in that film think, oh, that was a person. That film is know. edited never. and shot very well. I mean, yeah. very well. Um, <clears throat> oh, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, this being a King story, I'm surprised the kid didn't die. And then, <laughs> upon further research, book. in the book, the kid does die. Oh. And that Stephen King had done an early draft of the screenplay. And in the screenplay, he had left the kid alive. Yeah. And that he, out of everything, all of his works, at least to that point, had said, if he could go back and change I've anything that. that he had done, he would have left that let that kid live in the book. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is interesting, too, because, and I won't go off on too many tangents, because I know we've got a lot to cover, but this is one of the uh, rare examples where Hollywood against all odds, did not screw this up. They had a different director on there. I can never remember his name. He did the changeling. He wanted to sexualize it. They fired him because Dee Wallace was like, huh? She, she fucked the dog? Yeah, she was wanting her to wear like skimpier clothes where you could see her nipples through the shirt Why she's out with her kid because she's been cheating on her husband. And so they canned him. Uh, King was all for them switching the ending. They reached out to him and he said, I have never gotten more hate mail in my life. Change it. People don't want to sit through an hour and does, a half to watch the kid. Doesn't die. the mom also in the book get rabies? Uh, that I'm not sure of. I've never read. I, think it. I just get, know the. I, I think what I'd seen is she gets rabies and then yeah, the boy dies. There is, I, I know at one point in the movie I was thinking about how I would might consider letting the dog have that screaming ass kid. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what? Like, that kid's great. In that oh, role. yeah. From a six-year-old actor. Yeah. From the father of the group. <laughs> but um, And then in the book, there was other things with Frank Dodd, who is the serial killer in the dead zone. He played a big part in the novel. They cut all that out. And I think that it was very smart that they trimmed this down to a straightforward scenario. Sure. And, and so it works. the concept of on any given day, the variables can line up for you to pull into a parking lot and you're going to die there. Yep. Just yep. a few miles from home. That's very scary to me. Um, now, in defense of where you're coming from, Grizzly, uh, this has been touted for many years as this scary movie because of this rabid dog. That's the, 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 that's the truth. If, that's the truth if you're seven years old mm-hmm. when you watch it. But as you get older, the fear that it really cooks up is watching Dee Wallace. And I'm just going to say this right now. She should have been nominated for an Oscar for that. I don't throw that around lightly like a lot of people do when they like to talk mm-hmm. movies. She deserved to be nominated. She nailed every aspect of that character. And, I mean, just right out of the park. Um, St- Stephen King has commented on that as well, that he thinks of all his movies it has been been made, D. Wallace, even over Kathy Bates and Misery, is like the best actress in, in well, Cujo. She's just fantastic. I think it's her best acting she ever did. But I do think it's important to point out, unless you're young and listening to this podcast, which hopefully you're not, you're out riding bikes or doing something else, <laughs> but unless you're a youngster, the, the real horror is going to come from the, the, the parent angle. And you don't have to be a parent to feel that just the responsibility uh, for this child. And so I won't go through every single beat of, of what pans out in the parking lot, but we have things continuing to worsen. Uh, we have some inventive work um, from the camera where, uh, in particular, the, the scene I always think of when I think of this movie is the spinning camera mm-hmm. as as we start to almost hallucinate inside yeah, the car. Dizzying. The movie cooks. It feels hot. You've got beaded yeah. sweat on them the entire time. Which would be a you know it's a good summer movie as you know if you're not just looking for a feeling but really an overall emotion uh, yeah <laughs> thing to nail down for that but I mean it is really hot in that car we have great makeup on the child that's very subtle to make him look weaker and weaker yeah. he's had seizures you can definitely tell they're supposed to be dehydrated the makeup's yeah. subtle but it it does the job and so at one point she has opened the door and the dog comes in and starts to maul her in the front seat. And that is the scariest part oh, of the yeah. movie. Her screaming, it's not quite as great as Griffin done in the opening of American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. But then you add in the element of you have a <clears throat> child who is scared of the dark, who is now being forced into a real-life situation, and the only person that can protect him has tried and is now being ripped apart in front of him in the front seat. By of this car. man-sized dog. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you really have to stop and think about that moment. That is some scary shit. Yeah. Sure. And um, I think that, that that's the true, only terrifying moment of the film. There's a lot of suspense, but... And, like, so here's the thing. Like, she's she's going to die, right? She's been bitten by that dog. She has rabies now. Isn't that how rabies works? Mm-hmm. Like... One would think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get this, not a happy, happy ending, but they get rescued at the end. Spoiler. Right. But I'm like, hold up. She did. Well, you, what do you get, like 20 shots in the stomach for rabies or something like that? No, you. if you are exposed to rabies, like, we, we are all, maybe we don't have a rabies shot. 
you have to get a shot to be immune to rabies. And so if you get bit by something that's rabid, that is a death warrant. It's over. I'm not well versed on that, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, things worsen. Um, we've got, uh, you know, people kind of chattering that gets enough interest to go out there and check. And we have the sheriff go out. Things don't go well for him. Either. I like how the sheriff shows up, finds the missing woman's car <laughs> sitting there covered in blood with the windows right. busted and still has his pistol holster. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, he, uh, he gets mauled to death after being knocked off the catwalk in the barn. Um, but that creates a distraction. Donna gets a baseball bat and whoops on Cujo with it. Yeah. Breaks it over him. And then as she's down on the ground, impales him with it. Or I shouldn't say impales him. He's a little big to stabs impale, him, but yeah. stabs him. Um, which then gets her the opportunity to get the child out of the car and up into the house. And in a true 80s fashion, the dog comes rip-roaring through the glass into the house. We shoot it. And then Vic, uh, it's probably the reason she cheated on him. His worthless ass finally shows up. Finally shows up. <laughs> Day late, buddy. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a very straightforward film, and I love for Stephen King that it doesn't go crazy supernatural. Uh, me and Hot Toddy on the way up were discussing that people have talked about if Frank Dodd's spirit, the serial killer, uh, gets the into the zone. dog. Uh, and if that's a theory or if that was actually the book, we haven't read it, so I don't know. But, so it's, it's talked about, like, we... That we're not sure is a theory, but I think the book plays more on that the Tad is terrified of the monster in his closet, and the monster in his closet is the spirit of yeah, Frank Dodd. Yeah, I think Dodd. that's a guarantee. That, that Frank Dodd becomes kind of like the boogeyman after dying in the dead zone. Which is smart that they cut that out. It was it, good for the film. How do you know it's not Pennywise? <laughs> that wasn't created yet. But uh, and, and Cujo, I think, is probably one of the first books that it's not a sequel, but it is a sequel to Dead Zone. And the fact that it's uh, Castle Rock. This is the first, because it came out before Dead Zone, this is the first movie to feature Castle Rock. And then uh, the the sheriff that you mentioned that's dying is the sheriff from Dead Zone. So mm-hmm. that's, um, what's his name? George Bannerman, is so, a recurring character. So, and because he dies, um, it explains, he's then replaced by uh, Alan Pangborn, who's in the sheriff in Dark Half, Needful Things, and then Castle Rock. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I... Picked this just because I wanted us to revisit a little bit more Stephen King. I keep slipping him in here and there on the mashes. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, if nothing else, watch it for D. Wallace's performance. When I first started dating my wife, which has been like, I don't know, 15 or more years ago, uh, the first time I ever went to her mother's house, we showed up out there and we pull up and I turn my car off <laughs> and their dog Bandit comes out. Bandit, who is a St. Bernard, walks out and just stands at the end of the hood of my car staring at me. Sandy starts to get out, and she says, come on. And I said, I'm not getting out of this car. She said, why? I said, because Cujo's standing at the end staring at me. That's why. And she said, oh, he's a big baby, blah, blah. I said, been hearing that all my life. I ain't fitting to find out. So finally, she talks me out of the car. I get out of it. This dog rolls up on me, and you just want to talk about tight butthole. (laughs) The whole time this thing rolls up on you. And uh, he just kind of leans his weight onto my thigh while I pet his side. He was a sweet dog. Let the kids climb all over him. He didn't give a shit. But uh, when he put his weight against my leg, boy, that is a man-sized animal. Oh, like, yeah. And so Legit. that, having been in close proximity with the St. Bernard for a time in my life, uh, it definitely it def- definitely brings it a little more close to home with Cujo, the threat that Cujo 
For sure. So you're saying you couldn't use the hashtag just kick Cujo? <laughs> no. It wouldn't fly. Nope. Um, a couple thoughts. One, this... I don't. I guess why this film is so scary to you guys is because you don't keep a gun in your vehicle. <laughs> Just shoot Cujo would be my hashtag. Uh, they tried to do that. Yeah. Well, Cop, that sheriff did. He yeah. Looked, he got punked. <laughs> That's because he was out the, out of his car. Right. Uh, the other That's thing too. That's working a little too sci-fi for Robert, apparently. <laughs> so uh, no, but one thing though, while I was watching it, I said. Uh, I absolutely understand why Professor likes this movie because Professor has been assaulted by dogs his whole life. <laughs> oh yeah, love animals, uh, but I have been bit so many damn times. I don't know. I've people say people say animals can tense, sense a bad person, so I guess I'm a piece <laughs> of shit. Oh yeah, but no, it it comes from uh, I got bit by a lot of dogs in my neighborhood. Um, not major bites, but like chows, just mean ass dogs. Oh, yeah, chows got snapped Do you have at. Yes. Uh, and so it kind of cooked up the fear, which I think is sensed now when I'm around new dogs. So, yeah, been bit quite a few times. I like that. Uh, been bit by a Great Dane. How many people can say that? A gentle giant. <laughs> I like that. Probably My most ass. people our age, when they see a Saint Bernard, they think either Cujo Beethoven. or Beethoven. Yeah. But uh, there's there's a across the street from me. There's a, a guy that I don't. I've never seen the guy ever in the house across the street. But occasionally he'll let his dog out on a leash, which is this huge St. Bernard. And I pull up one day to my house and my next door neighbor is in a van with her daughter and terrified to get out because Cujo is loose and <laughs> jumping on the van windows. <laughs> Reality, like it's a sweetheart dog and it just, it was being playful. Yeah. But she literally, I pull up hearing her screaming <laughs> and I'm just like, this is bad. So of course I had to get out of my car and get the dog to go back across the street, uh, which was not an easy task because this dog is huge. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think you can just kick or shoot Cujo. Uh, I like Cujo. I think Cujo's a good movie. I think it's classic. Yeah, classic, but I, I do like to warn people, it's not going to scare you out of your, your no. seat. It's, no, it's not a horror movie horror But it's movie, a great, you know? like, fr- it, this was a great Friday night rental. What, what, I love, what I love about Cujo now, though, is especially a lot of the 80s king work, is it's not hokey, it took itself serious, and it still holds up well. Yeah, definitely. Right on. All right, on to something lighter. All right. <laughs> Let's get into something light like The Devils. The Devils, 1971, starring in young Vanessa Redgrave, Oliver Reed, uh, Dudley Sutton, uh, Gemma Jones, Michael Gothard, and written and directed by Ken Russell, based off a play... And a novel. Um, the play was done by John John Whitney, and novel Aldous Hurley. All, Aldous Huxley. Sure. And the yep, the novel was called The Devils, Devils of Ludon. What was that? Ludon. Lu- <laughs> <laughs> Motley Lou. Uh, the Devils of Ludon. Uh, so yeah, this movie is banned in America. Um, I like that you pick it, so we can try to find it and watch it. <laughs> I knew you already had it, Todd, so don't pull um, that on. Oh, a fun, go ahead. I'll, I'll come back with my fun fact. <laughs> I thought it was a different F word getting started than fun. <laughs> but yeah, just for future reference, though, if Abner does complain about a movie being hard to find, he picked a band in America film. <laughs> uh, I got to get payback spo- on you guys every once in a while. Spoiler alert, we live in America. <laughs> 
it, it's so funny, and we'll talk about it here, but I, as I was revisiting this film, I thought, why is this banned in America? And then about 30 minutes in, I'm like, oh, that's why it's banned in America. Um, so, The Devils of Ludon is... Well, sorry, the movie is just called The Devils. But So Aldous Huxley wrote his book, The Devils of Ludon, and it's based on um, this convent in Ludon, France, uh, that experienced like mass hysteria, demonic possession, whatever you want to, I mean, it, it was all the above. It was, it, you know, it was labeled by the clergy at the time as, as mass, um, demonic possession. It was really more of just a mass hysteria. We'll get into that as we talk about the film and some really crazy things happen as all these nuns claim to be possessed by evil spirits because of this priest, Father Grandier that they thought was the one pulling the strings and making these things happen. Yeah. You know, when people, uh, when there's a riot going on and people start looting, yeah, that's what this was. Yes. They're like, I'm gonna let the freak flag fly. (laughs) Oh uh, yeah. (laughs) And blame it on this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So this, uh, I chose this just because you're sick (laughs) that it's crazy. It comes up in a lot of horror conversations from time to time. The hornier uh, ones. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, I thought, man, this is banned. It's it's more of an exploitation movie than a than a horror movie. But it's more like a history exploitation because it's pretty solid to the original story. Yeah. I mean, right down to some of the, the crazy details. But that's what I think that's what makes this movie crazier is that it's pretty rooted in what really happened. Sure. Um so is it a possession film? Is it a hysteria film? Whatever. I mean, we have that conversation with all exorcism possession films, right? So, um, speaking of releasing demons, <laughs> Good God. so that's why I chose this. It's my second time viewing it. Um, I Tonight. wanted to revisit it <laughs> because <laughs> another podcast that covers the historical yeah. aspect, they were talking about the story, not the movie, uh, brought it up, and I thought, I need to rewatch that. Henry was talking about the movie. Yeah, right. A lot. Um, so, uh, initial impressions around the table. Uh, this was my second time viewing as somebody who's interested in the history of film and, and exploitation film films and 70s cinema especially. Uh, I was happy to revisit it. Um, I don't think, and we'll discuss this, but I don't think it warrants being banned in America still. Yeah. I think The Exorcist, a few years later, is far more offensive than, sure. than this is. It's just about what makes money and what politics, I think, occurred at the time. But yeah, it's a it's a very interesting film. Um, and if you're collecting horny Vanessa Redgrave films, this <laughs> goes right in the stack, because there are quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let's get uh, weird, Vin. Th- this was my first time seeing this movie. Uh, also, my last time viewing this around, movie. Are you around uh, right now? <laughs> also, my last time viewing this movie. Uh, this, this is a big miss for me, guys. <laughs> big old miss. Is this band so, in the Vinny House? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the same for me, dog. Well, we know you're not one for history. so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no thanks. All right. Uh, so first time watching, uh, for some reason, I always associated this film with Mark of the Devil, which I think there was a series of those that films. Was pretty racy, too. Because um, I just remember the Devil and, and Band in America, which in the in the early 90s, 
Mark of the Devil was making uh, VHS debuts, and I just remember that was a big marketing ploy. Um, Did you say debuts? Debut. I said the Utes. <laughs> well, they Utes. were. Did you say the two Utes? Two Utes. What the fuck are grits? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, fun fact though, uh, Devils is banned in America, but uh, there was a. Going to cons, there's a definitely a bootleg table. Uh, if you know me, you know that I hate bootlegging any film, but if an old film that should be available is not available, it's fair game. Yep. So uh, that's why I, I do get a lot of older films from these tables because they should be in print. Uh, Blu-ray quality. Yeah, it's uh, a rip of a foreign Blu-ray. Yeah, so yeah, uh, without reaching. Code. I opened it to watch it for this, and fun fact, uh, no <laughs> Blu-ray. So, oh, 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 oh. so uh, for this viewing, uh, I watched a bootleg of a bootleg of a bootleg. Uh, I messaged him the night subtitles. before, uh, I think Friday or last <laughs> night, or no, it was Friday Damn. night. Said, do you still, did you need the Devils? I can bring you my copy if you need to borrow it. And he's like, nope, watched a shitty bootleg. Copy Man, of that's hard time. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I need to apologize. I will to say you. as we talk more about the movie, I will say offhand, I don't see why it's banned at all, even for this time period, except for... I know everyone's going to speculate on why it was banned. To me, I feel like uh, different from The Exorcist is The Exorcist is uh, is I feel like the reason this is banned is because it makes the church look bad. Mm. Uh, not so much for the acts that's done in the movie, but to me, uh, just my take on it, like all the nuns and stuff, is there is a there is a, a panic and a scare, and everyone took effect of it. And it all related back to the church, mm-hmm. and the fact that the church was doing things to innocent people. Yeah, um, makes them look bad. It's it's historical and true. Yeah, um, I feel like that's the main reason that it's banned, and not because of uh, hunching crosses and stuff. Because you know, a fourteen-year-old Linda Blair did it a couple years later. So it's fair. It's fair. Both and, by Warner Brothers. Yeah, and The Exorcist paints the church as the hero. Whereas this film yeah. paints the church as the villain. That's that's a fair point. So, um, for a plot point, we find ourselves in Loudon, France, and we are at the height of this period where um, Catholics and Protestants are at, uh, just at the height of killing each other over being Catholic or Protestant. And um, Loudon is like a, uh, it's an anomaly. It's a town where they have found peace together. And you have this Father Grandier, who is a bit of a charlatan, who was basically, there was this period in Catholic church history where they would let, um, like, philosophers and scholars be priests, even, but they didn't make them go through, like, the rigorous training that, like, everyday priests had to go through. the drunk poets. Yes, exactly. And so, like, you know, these guys come along and they're like, the cool guys and they're like balling out every widow in the city. Who wants a mustache, right? (laughs) Exactly. And Oliver Reed is there to provide the I do. Father Grandier. (laughs) Um, But I think what's interesting about Father Grandier's character is though he is a charlatan, he's not a bad person. And I think the film plays the duality of that. Um, But so basically he comes to town and you've got all these nuns who are trying to catch a peek at him. Right, because they've heard about how handsome he is. But the most strict nun, um, Vanessa Redgrave's character—I forget her name. Uh, Sister uh, Jean? Jean. Yeah, yeah. Sister Jean, 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 something like 
<laughs> the French is hard, right? And so anyway, she's the strictest. She's the mother superior. She was actually like a young mother superior. And this is based on a real character. She was actually very attractive, except for her. Sorry to our hunchback listeners. Uh, her large hunchback. Her hump. <laughs> her, her lovely, lovely lady, lady lumps. And so she's really strict. Fergie will come up again. She tells the other, so, you know, she tries to, to get the other nuns to stop looking at him. But then when she sees him. She starts having visions of him like he is Christ. She is yeah. more moist than a Betty Crocker cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she has these visions of him walking on water like he is Jesus. And um, her washing uh, his feet with her hair like the story of Mary and... Uh, and Madonna and, the, and Leon. Yes, exactly. More like Mary and Martha, but take your pick. And... Um, she gets hooked, right? So she just wants Father Grandier to become the new like headmaster over their convent. And she is going to stop at no length to either have him or destroy him. Have you uh, ever experienced this when you go to new churches? <laughs> uh, fortunately, I have not. <laughs> Those vindictive hunchbacks really slow your work down. <laughs> So, and then, against the backdrop of this, too, we only have the fucking Black Plague to deal with. Or the bubonic plague, if you will. So, uh, it's interesting in the time that there's these fears of holy wars, of Christian-on-Christian violence, but also this plague that's wiping out most of Europe, and they probably think that this is God's judgment or punishment because of the Reformation and things like that. Take it away. Somebody else. I, I will halfway in. I'm like, this is banned, and it doesn't even hang dong. And then I was like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> oh, you just wait, sir. <laughs> I'm like, there's a dong. You just wait. Um. So another historical thing as to why all there, there are so there used to be so many nuns and convents is back then, if your daughter was going to marry someone, you had to provide a dowry. Dowry, right? So. The thing is, there are all these viable young women, but their families, who say they had multiple sisters, had gotten to a point where they could not provide a dowry. They can't provide a dowry for the young girl to get married off. They can't really provide to to keep her around the house. So what do you do? Ship them off to the church. So that's a big thing as to why this, this convent is full of so many nuns and why that's a thing of the past and we don't really see it now. And so these nuns, if these are all just viable young women who are only joining the church, not because they feel called to be nuns, but just because their families can't afford to marry them off, um, what kind of desires do you think they have floating around in their heads? Right? So that's why this mass hysteria starts to play out the way it does, is because you have these chicks that didn't really want to be nuns, but their family gave them no choice. And so that plays into where this demonic witchcraft Etc. activity takes place, whether it's mass hysteria or whether it's actually something legit. S- similar to the, the sequel where the one witnesses a murder by her mob boyfriend and is then placed into the convent with all the singing. Yes. yes. That one. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but not unlike the Salem witch trials, right? You have young sure. girls having fun out in the woods with Tituba. And learning like her rituals and dancing naked around fires. That's Did what you these... say tits and butts? 
That's going to be my witch name when I get older. Lord Titsenpot. So this is, I mean, akin to the Salem Witch Trials, right? I mean, this is the idea that you have these young women in captivity, right? Uh, who are Who have these just sexual desires and, and they're going to act on them much like the young girls at the Salem Wish Trials did as well. Well, and the, I think the interesting thing too is that Sister Jean will flip it into that. She will become on the other end of that. Yes. With accusations based out of bitter resentment. Because she can't have Father Grandier. She's going to say, well, he has actually put these devils on us. Right. And and with all this the strife between religions, I think everything's kind of like a pressure cooker. Oh, so it's time. not that hard to get things heated up and out of control in any direction mm-hmm. based on what one person wants to shout loud enough about. Yeah. Which I think is what <clears throat> makes the the idea of, of what she hurls out there so much more interesting from a historical standpoint and where we are and that we've you know, we've got like the, the initial promises to not demolish this city because of, of the agreements, I think, between the Cardinal and King Louis or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then we also have the death that kind of leaves that agreement worthless. Yep. Um, and so you just have all of these things hanging on by a thread. And this woman's horny ass basically makes it all blow up. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. And then they try to blame it on the dang old devil. Yep. He's he's the one least likely to be implicated in this. Tale. I feel like Vinny's checked out right now. He ain't even anywhere near that microphone. Vinny, do you have any notes on this one? <laughs> Did you by any chance stroke a candle while you were watching uh, it? At one point, I felt like I was watching Amadeus meets the Rocky Horror Picture Show. How, can I? How many times did you have to turn this movie uh, off at home? At another point, I felt like I was watching Python. <laughs> uh, let's see here uh, well, another note says now I feel like somebody slipped me drugs see I was wondering if your wife was a fan of this because it got you going so she, was, no, she was not anywhere near the television when this was being watched um, was this turned down very low look I'm going to be honest you had with it you. On the naughty I'm going to be honest with you I was raised from a very young age well from birth as a protestant when I was about 13 or 14, we started going to Catholic church. So I was indoctrinated very early. These kind of things where you toy with religious icon like that is bothersome to me. And I'm not even somebody who's like real devout or anything like that. But there is a, a primitive piece of me because of sure. how I was indoctrinated that that's hard for me to sit through. It's hard for me to sit well, through stuff like in that. In fairness, I think that's their point. Yeah, is that it, these people exploited their religions. Yeah, well, in I did just their own just desires. the selfish desire. The the sexualization with the nuns and the religious imagery while it's going on. That deep rooted programming. Makes me like, oh no, that that's not all right. So you that's not right. You know what <laughs> I mean? A fan of the, cool, the, the the crucifixion scene where they hunch crucified Jesus. 
Right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and that's a major thing. So as that as is a jaw dropper. Which, uh, which that, that, that is a that is a, I know one of the scenes when I looked up. I actually looked up to see why it was banned, and I know uh, until recently that scene had been cut for like years, and uh, several other scenes. As Sister Jean continues on in her visions about how much she's in love with Father Grandier, she has visions of him being the crucified Christ. And you're like, oh, wow, she's about to go down on him as the mm -hmm. crucified Christ. But she starts it, to it's drop. It's even weirder. And she starts sticking her tongue in the wound in his side. Mm. Yeah. And you go, okay, maybe that's one of the reasons why this was banned. Uh, I think... I it was difficult for me to get into into this on any end. Like just uh, nothing resonated with me. All the best parts to me were Oliver Reed's performance in that last act. Oh man, sure. yeah. That that caught my attention. That I I find it weird to say I enjoyed it, but I mean it was something about it got a reaction out of me, a positive reaction. Um, that was about he it. He tended to, in most movies, I think we talked about it with Burnt Offerings, he loved to, to ham it up. Oh, he's over the top. This is where it shines, though. Yeah, this is completely adequate and necessary for what he's doing. Yeah. So as the story goes on, um, the, the nuns are, are, are caught in their strange behavior and they're interviewed by an exorcist. And the exorcist is in cahoots with... Um, some of the aristocracy in town because Grandier has, has messed around with one of the daughters of a wealthy man in town. Um, and so they're really starting to find out that the main guys in the church and the main rich people in the area, they don't like Grandier. And so they want to, to head to his ruin. So the exorcist who's interviewing the nun says, was it Father Grandier who invited the devil around here who, who has been possessing you? And they're like, yeah, it was him. And so they start doing these public exorcisms on these nuns, which was real. And so, like, they're really playing it up for the public because the public doesn't have HBO, right? So they're <laughs> going to go watch these public exorcisms. Yeah. And they, I think it was the last podcast said uh, that they like to gather because they got to see the nuns' legs sometimes. Yeah. Like, you could get a glimpse of a nun's leg from the, the clothing moving during the exorcism. Right. And that turned them all on. Yes. And so it's then at that point that the, the, the head exorcist is like, you know what? If this is going to help us get Grandier, I want you all to embrace these devils that are possessing you. Do you think you can embrace the devils? And they're like, yeah. Like, do you think you can run wild well, and do all the things that the devils <laughs> want you to do? Yeah. Do you think you can strip off your clothing and be insane as these devils are possessing you so that we can indict Grandier and get rid of this whole problem? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, we'll do it then. So then the whole thing goes nuts. This is where the, the film takes the craziest turn. And, you know, the nuns are just running naked around the convent and the cathedral. And they're, they're, they're raping men. Yeah, the soundtrack for like 20 minutes is... <laughs> And they're just <laughs> grinding on statues of Jesus, and it's you know they're they're licking candles and like it's insane. And so it's them pretending to be possessed, right? Right. So the real case is saying you know they were possessed. I'm, so we're going back to that Salem witch trial thing, right? So this whole idea of this mass hysteria they're trying to sell as though it was mass possession. Um, 
but they're really just wrapped up in this hysteria because they're just horny young women who were forced to be nuns. Yeah, so. that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, where do we go from here? <laughs> well, I would just say the finality. Yeah. So you've got Grandier, who has almost redeemed himself. He has taken on this woman as his wife. So he performs a private ceremony where, guess what, he's allowed to be in charge of, and he marries this woman. A priest marries a woman, yes. Well, I think his mustache excludes him from normal law. (laughs) (laughs) That mustache. And um, basically... Vanessa Redgrave's character is just really let him really ready to just let him die because she can't have him. Right. So she's so far flung on that, that it's just going to happen. And so the aristocracy hates him. The church hates him. These nuns hate him. And so it just leads to, um, his indictment and martyrdom. And even so like that, that death scene of his is brutal and it's brutal. Oh yeah. It's brutal for more reasons than one. I remember the first time through being like, man, this is hard to watch him getting burned alive. But the other thing, well, let's not take a serious what happened to him before that too. Oh sure. Where he gets <laughs> shaved like a baby and they Shattered break his legs. Yeah. And, and ankles, yeah. And that's the legit. That was, that really happened. So, you know, they break his legs, they shave him down, you know, and that was for humiliation. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so they even shave off his eyebrows. Right. And they break his legs and they put him out to be burned alive. And two things to really remember about the historical thing and what happens in the movie, and that's why I think the movie is so well done, is that he's looking at the former aristocracy that he used to keep company with up on a deck drinking and laughing, watching him burn to death. Yeah. And then the other thing is someone else, one of the other uh, officials who was trying to give him a peaceful death by letting him be hanged or strangled, um, someone else runs up and starts that fire. Like, yeah, cause he promised he'd hang him first. Yep. He said, you'll be hanged so that you don't suffer at the fire. And as he's trying to put the fire, as this other official is trying to put the fire out, you look over and the other official who hates him is tying his hanging rope up in knots. So even if he did get the fire put out in time, you couldn't even hang him because he just wanted him to die so bad. It's terrifying. That's yeah, that's hard to watch. That whole that whole third act of, of Grandier going to his death is really hard to watch. And, and, I'd say the whole thing's hard to watch. <laughs> and Ken Russell <laughs> has a long legacy of directing bizarre, out-there movies. And this certainly has some of that. But I think, for me, what, what keeps it most interesting is the idea of the mob mentality and all of the injustices that we have, as a human race, performed against each other. Yeah based solely on overreacting and buying into something because enough people are shouting and it still happens. Every time we have uh, some kind of tragedy or disaster here, people are ready to act too quick Um, and, and, you know, tear down their own neighbor. Yeah. And I, I just think it's interesting to go back and, and learn about these different stories and realize that, you know, we may have iPhones and airplanes, but at our core, we are still the same. We are We're still still flawed. A hunchback Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah. We really are. Yeah. So I think this is a horrifying story, but as I watched it a second time, I don't know that I would classify it as horror. Um, the idea but of a lot of it's horrifying. possession, but that's more of a ruse. Yeah. I think the movie itself works as just 
a historical drama, sure. a racy one. And there's plenty of films that we will cover where, where, where we have covered where the possession is a ruse, mm-hmm. where the the murderer just turns out to be, or the the victim turns out to just be someone who's crazy and did the murdering themselves. So I mean, there 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 are lots of like bait and switch sort of things. Not that this was that as much, but it's the same idea of like it's all a ruse and it's all a setup. So I think it's a horrifying tale. I think it is scary, but I don't, I, I can't say it's a horror movie, but if you like weird ass shit, I'd recommend it. <laughs> and if you like Sweet historical night. tales, I mean, it's, it's pretty accurate to the real yeah. story. Definitely. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend it just to anyone, especially no. with how sensitive the subject matter is with how bizarre the story is and how damn hard it is to see. Uh, but if you're interested I mean, it's got enough rewarding elements. It's it's not uh, like he like Ken Russell made like Lair of the White Worm. I mean, yeah. it's not as weird as that. I mean, this is still a very. I feel like he film. always is attached to something very controversial too. Yeah. Like I remember the movie uh, early '90s called Whore, and I worked in a video store, and that movie came out. That it was actually like you could get it in three different versions, same movie, but it was like horror unrated, horror R rated, and then there was even a version called like. If you can't say it, see it. Uh, who did Antichrist? Lars von Trier? Mm-hmm. Ken Russell's like the Lars von Trier of his day. Yeah. Basically. Um, I would say uh, I wouldn't recommend this for a horror movie aspect. I'd recommend it as like uh, almost like the cinematic history. The fact that uh, it is like a bizarre film, but it's very uh, like just the it's weird. It's like a it's a historical film, but it has a futuristic look, uh, which is strange. It's a strange movie, but. I would recommend it more for the, like the just the the film history aspect of it and the fact that it's banned, which is is silly. Yeah, yeah. I would not recommend this to the <laughs> casual fan. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> right on. All right, so that's the devils. I tried to simplify that as much as I, I think could. we we covered what we needed to. Moving on to Sleepy Hollow. All right, Sleepy Hollow, nineteen ninety nine, starring Johnny Depp. Christina Ritchie, Miranda Richardson, Michael Gambon, Casper Van Dien, Jeffrey Jones, Richard Griffiths, Christopher Walken, Lisa Marie, Christopher Lee, Martin Landau, and directed by Tim Burton, with a screen story and special effects done by Kevin Yeager, who was set to be the original director, and a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker, who you might know from little films such as Seven, Eight Millimeter, Wolfman, 2010 hideaway and brain scan and of course based off the book by washington irving that's washington irving i uh i picked this one um i'm not positive why i picked it well it's a good uh it's a good double-sided uh feature to watch with the devils (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't know yeah i don't know why i picked it it's something that i guess I enjoy, but I've never really sat down and talked to anybody else about it. And I feel like it's something that's not really, uh, it's not something that comes to mind all the time when people are looking back at movies and for being a movie that's 20 years old, I think this has held up really well. Um, I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Uh, this is probably my third or fourth viewing. I think, um, outside of the obvious big films that, Burton has done that people love. This is my favorite. It's my favorite that no one talks about. I think it's his best work. 
Oh, I yeah. think it's up there with uh, Big Fish, which is another big favorite of it's mine. Got, I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Certainly. But as far as cinema goes... Beetlejuice, Batman, Pee Wee. Yeah, they're all Obviously, great. Obviously, I love them. But this, I feel like, may be his best work as a director. Yeah. And I like um, the the quirk of his films isn't over the top in this. Very it's, true. It's controlled. Yep. And I think a lot of that is the source material and wanting to pay respect to the classic story and the mood and everything. Um, I worked at the movie theater when this came out. So I remember seeing the end of it a lot um, at that time, but even then being impressed with the mood of it. Um, yeah, I like it overall. It's a, a great movie to watch around Halloween. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is uh, my second viewing, and it's one that I had on DVD for quite a while. I've been looking for an excuse to get it on Blu-ray, and the second viewing has certainly motivated me to do that. Um, it's fun it's atmospheric it's moody and, and it's a who's who of like actors oh yeah that have been in tim burton films yeah, yeah yeah and i just if anything at the end of the day if someone says should i watch this i would say just for the way it looks mm-hmm. just for oh the yeah it's, it's a work of art you should watch it it's it's a fairy tale even at my most critical of tim burton's work uh i always say that just like Rob Zombie, the artistic design is flawless. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I watched this quite a few times. Um, I would say when I think of Burden, though, like my top picks are probably Beetlejuice or Batman of what I watched the most. But I um, always love the tale of Sleepy Hollow. I love the book. Um, one of my favorite things to watch every Halloween is the Disney cartoon. Which I love that that Burton actually does a few scenes in this one. Couple shoutouts. Yeah, um, like the the bridge scene alone, like even with the like the the frogs croaking Ichabod Crane straight from the cartoon. Um, I love that this is um, something I haven't been liking about Burton's last few movies is it doesn't have the Burton feel. I love that this movie probably more than any movie. Um, I know the actors on the set said when they walked around the set, they're like, they felt like they were in the mind of Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the mood and the costumes and and everything about it is, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of turd Sleepy Hollow movies. Um, and this is just really great. And and the thing I think that's really cool is that Tim Burton's name is attached to this, and it's late '90s, and they still were like, no, we want to rate it our horror film. And this it, movie makes me wish that Tim Burton had done more straight horror work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this could have easily been a PG-13 take on oh, yeah. Sleepy Hollow and a little bit watered down. Um, and also, I love Christopher Walken as the... the, the Hessian. If, if uh, Chris Walken did talk in this film, <laughs> what was some of the things you think he would say, Vinny? <laughs> wow. You've got my head. <laughs> Give it back. <laughs> now. <laughs> He's so awesome as the Hessian. He's yeah. so awesome. In both the flashbacks to... So the, the Hessians were German uh, mercenaries used during the Revolutionary War. Um, those flashbacks back to that, but also just him as the, the, the horseman. So cool. Yeah. Do we need to do a synopsis of this, or do we feel like the viewer knows? What, what do we do here? Do at least a brief one. I do want to say real quick, though, Terrytown, which is right next to Sleepy Hollow in upstate New York, had uh, my favorite playground in the entire world. Uh, we would go there every family vacation that went into New England, and that's where Washington Irving is from. 
where he lived. So uh, just keep that in mind as we talk about the movie. I like right. playing at a playground in Terrytown. As you and your, your bougie family vacation <laughs> in the Hamptons. I'm like, we, we were poor, so our uh, our family trip was the West Side McDonald's where you got to talk, talk to a tree. <laughs> and Brookville Lake was my sleepy hollow. <laughs> Uh, so basically, you guys could just be happy for me. <laughs> you guys just fill in along the way. There's <coughs> there's murders that have been happening in Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Uh, the common denominator: uh, people losing their heads, and people are saying that it is a headless horseman that has been spotted that is doing the killings. So Ichabod Crane is sent by the authorities. He's kind of a who's a detective in this version and not a school teacher. Yeah, and he's yes. kind of steampunky in his technology, uh, but he's sent to investigate these murders. Which he is, he says everything has a scientific explanation. Uh, so there's he's looking for a real killer, not this monster story that that people are telling. Uh, anybody else I think we need to go any further? I think that's a basic synopsis of. Well, the uh, problem with this and the and the plotline is it has all kinds of little twists and turns yeah. on who yeah. it could be, so yeah. it gets a little convoluted talking about it. One of my only complaints is that Ichabod Crane doesn't look. I mean, Johnny Depp doesn't what look what look like what I think Ichabod Crane should look like: long, big Adam's apple <laughs> nose and big ears. So, so Ichabod Ichabod Crane is always described as a unattractive man. Yeah. But uh, I did see that Tim Burton was like Johnny Depp wanted to wear things. To look more unattractive. And Tim Burton was like, your qualities is what makes Ichabod unattractive. Because he's he's always feigning. And he's like, <laughs> he's not very brave. I mean, he kind of like sends the kid and the women out. He's kind of pompous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was a good, uh, I think a good take on it. And uh, just then throwing some ugly makeup on uh to make Johnny Depp look a little bit Yeah, weird. see, that wouldn't have worked for me. If yeah. they'd, if they'd have tried to make Johnny Depp look ugly, it'd have been just Looking as like goofy. Jim Carrey and a Lemony Snickets. <laughs> <laughs> it'd have been just as goofy as Johnny Depp's character in uh, Tusk. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't do that. I, I love... Uh, to me, this tells me that Tim Burton, if he were to direct horror beyond this movie, which this movie absolutely is a horror movie, um, gothic is what he is a master of. Like he, he fantastic with just the mood. Uh, and it had those Burton hallmarks, but they didn't beat you over the head with it. Like there's a scarecrow at one point. that has got a very Jack Skellington head. It's a little wink. And then at the end of the movie, Christina Ricci is wearing a black and white striped gown, but it's not as stylized as some Burton works are. It's that it doesn't beat you over the head. It's not over the top. It doesn't take you out of the movie as a period piece. I think there are some genuinely spooky, scary scenes in this movie, more gore than you would expect when you read Tim Burton. Like I, the minute the movie opens, you can already tell like, Oh, this, this guy have a different tone than Beetlejuice. Like we're not, we're not dealing with the same thing here, but I I think this, and also the year that this movie was made, this was not a hot time for horror movies. I, I can always think of three horror films from 99, uh, which House on Haunted Hill remake, Sleepy Hollow, and the Turd Haunting remake. That's the only three Oof. movies when I think of '99 horror. And I'm probably, I'm sure, if I looked into it, I would be like, "Oh, I forgot about these movies." But those are the th- Turd City. I love yes. it. I love it when Burton's good. 
Yeah. It makes me sad when Burton isn't good. And there's been a lot of that over the last decade or so. Uh, but this, to me, is Burton at his finest. This, this is Burton really shining with this this picture, I think. Sure. I He directs the hell out of this thing. And it, it's his most underrated movie. And the thing is, is with all of... You think of every year we compile these these long lists of moody, atmospheric, Halloween, autumn movies. And... There aren't many that capture it better than this, but it's kind of unsung. Mm-hmm. You never hear, hear people celebrating this movie to the levels that it probably should And be. they should. It's not like the greatest movie ever made, but no. it's a damn good one. And yeah. it, it, and I guess what I'm just trying to say is that it warrants more celebration than it gets. I agree with that 100%. I think maybe because people were a little tired of Tim Burton by then. He'd done so many good movies. Boy, if they were tired they, of him by then. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I shouldn't even say tired, but the excitement wasn't as strong yeah. because you can only go, ah, so many times for a, a new movie from a guy before people start to just kind of take it for granted. Sure. And I think that we had kind of gotten there at this point because yeah. this movie deserves way more shouting. It's oh, yeah. excellent. Uh, one of the biggest chinks in the armor of this film that I will point out is that uh, that CGI face on the witch the 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 seer the fortune teller yeah that's not good. The I think tree. that's the one scene I hate the most but it's kind of like a burden staple like Beetlejuice Beetlejuice I think was at least done with practical effects where yeah. yes some sloppy CGI sloppy but CGI. a lot of the other like the 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 fact that Chris Walken's wearing a, a blue thing over his head or green mm-hmm. uh, man I thought like some of the other CGI was so well done but the 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 witch scene does kind of yeah yeah give me a little bit which is surprising for him because he's usually pretty obsessive over special effects and, and yeah. details on that stuff yeah I mean it's a trope of the late 90s a lot of directors like yeah all right we'll run with it sink <laughs> or swim yeah and then 20 years later they got to be like no it's not a win uh, as Todd brought up I love the nods to the the, the classic headless horseman Disney style. With the fake horseman on the oh, bridge. Oh man, the 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 bra- um, bram the bram bones thing to the T, where he had the 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 pumpkin and like it straight out of throws the that pumpkin at him. Yeah, that's great. There's also the scene where he hits uh he hits the tree limb and then ends up on the horse backwards, which yep. is again from the cartoon. <laughs> yep. Uh, I also got to say, like his flashbacks to his mom and like trying to remember what that's all about when they does that have his... a white horse in it. <laughs> <laughs> But when they stick his mom in that Iron Maiden, I was like, damn. damn. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> the number of the beast. So. Um, I got nothing now. Yeah. So uh, closing thoughts on. Uh, I'll, I'll say the one yeah. thing that, because uh, to me, I'm like, there's one aspect that's weird that to me, and, and I, I looked it up, but they actually did offer. Christina Ritchie, I love. They did offer that to Winona first, and she turned it down. Not I feel surprising. Like, I feel just like uh, just kind of like the Burton feel of this movie that Christina Ritchie's good, but I think she would have been a cool fit to the movie. Yeah, too. well, well, that's that's when he was into that weird uh, take a dark haired girl and make her blonde. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna make everything else in this movie dark, but yeah. you get the dark hair. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, probably a pervert. But okay. yeah, I think uh, that's just a joke. I think uh, I think Winona was shoplifting at that time. So <laughs> yeah, true. 
Um, you know, a nice little plot twist at the end with the twin um, that sold her soul for to get the, the Hessian to come back for revenge. And uh, that's the end of my notes. No, I love it. And I highly recommend it. And I definitely recommend it around the autumn season. Yeah, sure thing. I don't get to watch this every year for Halloween, but this is definitely one that I I, I attempt to watch you, every I, year. I, that's one that definitely goes in the rotation. I think when we did our list for 31 it days, when up. you were listing all the best ones first, I think I had that <laughs> one. <laughs> I, think I, I think I had the, this one on my list, if I remember. I, if I believe... I believe you're correct. I believe we did discuss this one. And hopefully NECA will release a tree that sprays blood at some point for us to <laughs> Right. Collect. That was cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, now that we're all done uh, making out with Tim Burton. Uh, <laughs> get it while you can because there ain't many movies you're going to get us to do that for. Let's move on to uh, Todd's movie marathon that he chose. <laughs> Old cheating ass Todd picked some for you. Yeah, Todd says, "Hey, you guys want to watch a movie? I'm picking two. <laughs> one. one movie. All right, let me get a deep breath here. Grindhouse, 2007, starring Kurt oh, Russell, no. Zoe Bell, Rosario Dawson. Um, came in read my own writing. Sydney uh, Portier. Strap in, folks. It's gonna be <laughs> Tracy Toms, Rose McGowan, Jordan Ladd." Quentin Tarantino, Eli Roth, Michael Parks, um, Marley Shelton, Electra and Elise Avalon, also known as the Babysitter Twins, Freddie Rodriguez, Josh Brolin, Jeff Fahey, Michael Bean, Bruce Willis, Naveen Andrews, Stacey Fergie Ferguson, Tom Savini, Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin, Udo Kier, Sherry Moon Zombie, Tom Tell, Sybil Danning, Bill Mosley, Will Arnett, which is the voiceover of Don't. Uh, Nicholas Cage, Nick Frost, Jay Hernandez, Simon Pegg, and Robert Rodriguez. That's a lot for one movie. It's a short film. <laughs> <laughs> and directed by Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, Rob Zombie, Edgar Wright, Eli Roth. Cool. All right. Okay, so... Do we want to go around? You want to? Where's my planet terror? I think uh, oh, I the Grizz on. is currently fact checking all eighty <laughs> members of the <laughs> roster. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you missed the name or two here. So I want to start off by saying, um, although we've been given hot toddy shit all night for this, I am glad that we watched this because I ain't one to brag, but this is how I got to see it in the theater. Um, so this I, is bragging. Yes, okay. this is a humble brag. I got to see Grindhouse in the theater as Grindhouse before they chopped it up and made it Planet Terror and Death Proof, which they did in the theater at one point. Exit and, flopped. Yeah, and before they put them out separately on DVD. Um, so I'm very glad that I got to revisit this as Grindhouse in one sitting because it helped me fall back in love with Death Proof because... When they've separated them, it's you, not as good. No, you got Tarantino's cut of Death Proof, which is like ten to fifteen minutes longer of pointless fucking dialogue. That Tarantino's movies get edited by someone else for a reason, right? And so when you let Tarantino do whatever Tarantino wants, he's going to put as much of his writing on the screen as possible. I'm glad Kevin Smith's not like that. That's true, <laughs> exactly. So, um, anyways, I am glad we got to revisit this because I fell in love with Death Proof all over again. 
because the last time I watched it was like Tarantino's director's cut and I got really bored and I remember really liking it the first time I saw it in the theater. So I saw it in the theater with the fake trailers all oh, the time. Yeah. Which all I, the I think we should make a note just for, for listeners that might not know, but Grindhouse when it was released was one whole movie, which is, it's two films essentially, which is Death Proof and Planet Terror. And it had a fake trailer to open the film with Machete. It had a... Which, the, the, at this time, Machete was just yeah, a fake trailer. Yeah, it was just a fake trailer. You um, all know that it's a movie now. The, uh... Even, even like the opening where it said like rated R, like like all this stuff was made for the film. It had fake trailers in the middle. Um, and it was kind of like the experience of that. And then, if I'm being honest, I feel like the Weinstein brothers didn't want this movie to succeed. They didn't care. It was very poorly advertised. More Weinsteins tonight. Yeah. Um, at the time when it was coming on video, they had exclusive deals with Blockbuster where like video stores like us, we would have to go through a different means to obtain these films to even put them in our stores because apparently they only wanted to sell to Blockbuster. They split the movie up into Grindhouse and Planet Terror, which were both then lengthened. And part of the fun of both movies is all the weird like missing reels and yep. and grittiness and cuts and the fake trailers. Um so a lot of people only got to experience watching either Grindhouse or Planet Terror in the, the DVD releases. So just a little side note there. Continue. Yep. That meme. Uh, I can't. I honestly can't remember at this point if I saw this in the theater or if I saw it on video first. Either way, I saw it as the double feature first. This is only the second time I've ever watched it. Uh I was super amped to watch a three-hour movie after having watched Avengers Endgame the weekend before. Uh, <laughs> so that made me happy when I saw that runtime. Um, I'm I'm not mad that we watched it. I liked it. I liked it the first time, one more than the other. We'll get into that later. Um, but all in all, I'm glad we re-watched re- it again. Yeah. Um I don't even know how many times I've seen these movies. It's just a, a frequent go-to. I, I love it. Uh, the Blu-ray I have plays it all as one feature with the trailers mm-hmm. um, exactly the way it was intended to. And that really elevated things for me because I did not see it in the theater. And I bought each DVD when they were released. And so I never got to see it that way until I got the Blu-ray. And, and, and I was just like... And this I, is it because I'd heard all about these trailers from friends, and I yeah, could the not DVD, wait. The DVDs and cut I, out the trailers. Yeah, and I got the DVDs in. home. I was like, "Where in the hell is all this other cool <laughs> stuff?" And so, if you have the opportunity to get the Blu-ray that runs it as one feature, it is a remarkably fun experience. Yeah, especially if you have interest in films from that era. Yep, because they nail everything down um, and things we've already mentioned. But it's. It's a really fun experience, and I uh, hold the Tarantino film h- higher up in his movies than most people do. I absolutely love Death Proof mm-hmm. deeply. So, but we'll get to that. But yeah, love Grindhouse. Glad we're covering it. So, um, I, I it's weird that I picked this because I think I did it without thinking. But um, we can touch on it more. But like, what's even cooler is I watched this after returning to a few of the places we got to visit from the film. Uh, because the professor and I went to Texas. Rub it in. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, you you picked this before I'd even mentioned the chili parlor. Yeah, so so, so it was already... Uh, I, and I think it's just because it's set on the shelf for a while. I haven't watched this film in a long time. I saw it in the theater 
as the way God intended, which is Grindhouse. <laughs> um, I saw it on Easter Sunday, so indeed. The way it, did open, it did open it did open Easter 26th. weekend. Yep. I used to have the poster. Um, <laughs> this is just, uh, it, to me, it's just a fun movie, especially like you touched on that. Uh, down to the fake trailers, it's so like the time period mm-hmm. of Grindhouse movies. So it's a, it's a fun movie, yeah. and that's why I chose it. Also, I like... Uh, to be an asshole every now and then and pick a long movie that's like three hours plus and <laughs> just uh kind of get back at some of the shit that I have to watch that you make me watch. So uh, we'll remember up. that. We'll remember that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so Planet Terror. Yeah, so let's briskly run through. Yeah, brisk. Planet Terror is just uh, a silly zombie movie. Um, You've got a military base uh, with this poison gas, and it uh, just seeps out, almost Return of the Living Dead style, and starts to affect everybody. And now you have a zombie outbreak on your hands, and the zombies are super slimy, super nasty, super fun, right? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Am I right or am I right? (laughs) And uh, that's basically the setup, right? Yeah, with all the main crux of it. Random ass side story characters i said there is uh the the aspect of the the soldiers that have been affected that uh breathing the gas keeps them from becoming zombies yeah yeah i and i love when that when like the base explosion is happening and the poison is like causing their faces to oh, melt i thought you off. meant like bass and music <laughs> oh when like that when the bass explodes oh vinny's leaned back again <laughs> Um. Yeah, and and I love the shoutouts between the two movies. You know, like this one, there you're, there she's cruising along at one point, and on the radio says, and this one goes out in memory of Jungle Julia, yeah. who would pop up later in Death Proof. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's just lots of fun scenes. I mean, there's there's some eye horror. You know, I know the professor loves eye horror. Takes him back to his Giallo films. Ugh. And, you know, coming at him, coming at him, and then uh, the drill unplugs. <laughs> it doesn't get him. So, all sorts of... I was going to say, stuff. we get all, uh, like, several characters and, and, like, where they're at. So, like, uh, Marley Shelton is obviously... Uh, uh, which I think is a good touch, is you think that she's talking to a man, but she's actually talking to Fergie. Fergalicious. Uh, but she's planning on leaving her husband, the doctor, Josh Brolin, yeah. that evening. Um there's a lot of fun things I think with uh, her and the, and the and the needles, some gross out stuff. Oh yeah. Um, you got and then you got Rose McGowan, who's a uh, who's... Cherry. Cherry the badass. So, uh, so Cherry Darling or Cherry Baby? Cherry Darling. Cherry Darling. Yeah, Charlie, Cherry Baby. That's gross. <laughs> I thought you were saying Jerry with a J. Jerry, darling. Uh, (laughs) Jerry, honey, uh, out there on stage, I need you to remember that it's go-go, not cry-cry. God knows I've heard that. (laughs) Um, The crazy babysitter twins. Uh, This is where they. The crazy babysitter twins. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. Like they're they're one of my highlights of the movie. Oh, big time. Vinny, how you feel about the crazy babysitters? Little Mark Uh, in here. Don't have a huge opinion on the babysitters. All right, cool. Right, we'll right. check back. Thanks for thanks for the weather. I love yeah. when uh, Cherry Darling <laughs> loses her leg and uh, her boyfriend uh, El Ray is helping her out, and she's like, "I just lost my leg," and he goes, "Well, I need you to quit crying over spilled milk right now." <laughs> I like when they're talking about uh, Quentin Tarantino and the and the other soldier is going to rape her, and he's like, "She's got one leg," and he's like, 
easy access. <laughs> yeah, Tarantino always has to get creepy. Oh, yeah. The look, soundtrack, at, look at him. The yeah. soundtrack is great. I love when Tarantino's junk melts off. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's the name of the network that Rodriguez El started? El Rey. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Fergie gets a cool uh, little death scene. Which is eaten by zombies. Yeah. Also, what happened uh, at the end of her Black Eyed Peas career? Oh, uh, those would be her fans. The yeah. Zombies eating her life. Uh, we get the 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 nurse when uh when her husband stabs her with the needles. And her hands oh, don't yeah, work. Yeah, her hands, but she's she's trying to open the car door. Oh, God. And she oh. slips. <laughs> the handbrake. Yeah. Oh, it makes me so uh, queasy. And one of the, I will say, this movie's fun. The one scene that I'm just like, God damn, is where she tells her son to take the yeah, gun and oh. shoot anybody. It doesn't matter who That's it not is. her. And Even she no sooner closes the door and he blows his head off, which is, of course, Rodriguez's real life son. So, yeah. Uh, I love when they strap that that gun on to Cherry Darling's leg, and <laughs> she's just you know <laughs> shooting people with that leg. Um, oh yeah, here's where the fiction starts, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think this was a documentary? I was like, okay, these poison gas zombies. I get it. I yeah. we've seen it. Okay, and then her leg starts shooting, and I said. I'm checked out now. This just isn't believable anymore. Man. <laughs> no, here's here's what my opinion about... Uh, I got an NRA membership after I watched her do that. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's my synopsis of the whole film. This is how I feel about it. Um, Death Proof, I prefer, I think is the better of the two. However, I think that Rodriguez accomplished more accurately what they were setting out to do. His, to me, felt more like a camp exploitation 70s movie than Death Proof did. It was yeah. more over the top. It was cheesier. It was The film stock looked grittier. Um, it felt more like a grindhouse film to me, an exploitation film, than Death Proof. I prefer Death Proof, well, but I, I think that this. Rodriguez hit it more well, on the head. Rodriguez used more a more gimmicky approach. I'm going to try and keep talking without laughing. Uh, the Rod really, <laughs> man, you are full of it, huh? Uh, Rodriguez used more of the gimmicks Chicken visually, aesthetically to make it look like an old war out film in one of these, you know, yeah. cheap ass theaters to watch a double bill. But here's the thing. There was a huge segment of car movies oh, back yeah. in the seventies. So that's, that's what I was going to, that we got, into and they even mentioned vanishing point at, at one point yep. which if listeners have never watched that watch it it's badass um but so it just depends i think when you watch the trailers that are provided that's what kind of throws it off i think that there would have been some trailers that were a little bit in other directions couple action or that would exploitation have better because they were yeah. everything is basically horror except for tarantino's and Machete's an extension of what we're getting ready to watch, but then you've got... No, Death Proof comes off as a much more serious picture. And it is. It's a better it movie. Comes off, it's a better movie. It comes off as a more serious picture. Uh, takes itself more seriously. Again, I prefer Death Proof, but I feel like Robert Rodriguez nailed more what I think the vision was for Grindhouse. I think, I think there's so, just so many... Grind, like, like, if you think about all the Corman pictures... Of like uh like any of the like the original Fast and Furious and like a lot of the 
like what was it, Death Race three thousand that was originally Corman. So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think you're you're talking about like one that fits like a traditional grindhouse horror film mm-hmm. feature. Whereas like grindhouse Which I would is, agree. 100%. Yeah, grindhouse the, the term grindhouse is all encapsulating of the exploitation films that were played. But again, as you, as you guys brought up, with the trailers that accompany it, Death Proof feels out of place with the yeah, body of the I, rest I, of this. I, I agree with that. Yeah, no, that's fair. But it also feels like, as as Professor was bringing up, like Vanishing Point and all the car movies that were made, it's still a grindhouse he, yeah, exploitation style. The car subgenre and making it with a killer yeah. that uses his cars to kill people, which I think immediately veers back into where we want to be. So let's wrap Death Proof or wrap Planet Terror. Should we talk real quick though about the fake trailers? We absolutely should. So it began. The movie begins with Machete. Or machete, machete, machete. Um, which I, again at the time was not intended to be an actual film. Um, having said that, really, I wish they would make the other films and in, into in full length. But, yeah, uh, so mach- every one of them. Machete was uh, Rodriguez, uh, which he ended up directing the the film when when it came out. But uh, Danny Trejo, basically the movie that we get to see, a little bit of difference. They even took stuff from the trailer. Yeah, and it in the movie. so and then uh, and then. You, We'll watch uh, Planet Terror. When Planet Terror ends, you get, uh, of course, the retro style uh, grindhouse, like where previews is misspelled and previews uh, coming attractions. And then we get uh, the women, the, what was it? I'm sorry. Werewolf women. Right. Werewolf SS. women of the SS, which is Rob Zombie. Love it. Uh, which, man, that I like that they went actually werewolves because <laughs> there's all kinds of werewolf. The, you know, the Nazis and the movies back then. She wolf. But they were actually werewolves. Yeah. I like that he actually got I like that, that he one. actually used that and that he used Sybil Danning. Yeah. Uh, because she was in a lot of the, like, uh, Ilsa. It, yeah, Ilsa she movies. Wolf of the SS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the fact that Nicolas Cage shows up as Fu Manchu. Um, I would... <laughs> I would, uh... I feel like this should be Zombies' next film. Yeah. Um, I kind of wish they would do multiple Grindhouse films and then continue with the fake mm, trailers. I'd love to go see it. Um, and then we get uh, Edgar Wright, who we know from Shaun of the Dead. Don't. So don't. Uh, Making fun of the British haunting films. Yeah. Well, not only that, like there's so many don't films of the 80s. I actually was telling uh, Wilson, we were talking about the whatever one Tom Hanks is in, and I'm like, I get him so mixed up, and I don't even at this point know which films I own because I have like, don't go in the woods. Don't go in the basement. Like, there's like yeah. 75 films. Um, so, and it, of course, uh, this is where it also features Simon Pegg and uh, Nick Frost, who uh, from Shaun of the Dead. And then uh, <laughs> Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, which I'm actually amazed that Thanksgiving was never a film from the 80s. Yeah. They did every other holiday. Um, that one's probably the most disturbing trailer, especially it's, at the very end. So, so the tramp, the trampolines, the trampoline scene, uh, which is a a girl that takes her panties off and she's a cheerleader, yeah. and she does yeah, the that sounds good onto a butcher knife. Uh, she she gives uh the dude head in the car, and his head his head's gone. But my favorite now is that she, d- that sounds disgusting. My favorite is that she's actually making out with a guy. And the next scene, she's like holding his head, like, which doesn't even make sense. I love when they're like investigating, like, <laughs> is that blood? Son of a bitch. 
it feels a lot like uh, My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Well, and it, yeah, because it, like it's a uh, the town is like the town of Plymouth, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> the the killer is dressed as a pilgrim, and then of course at the end there's the uh, is it grandma? I can't tell who's the who's a human turkey, <laughs> but grandma. but I'm pretty sure it's grandma, and then he also humps the human turkey. Yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving. And then we get back into... We go into Death Proof. Yep. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> and you got Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike. So Jungle Julia and her friends are out for an evening of fun in Austin, Texas. They're visiting from out of town. And then as they end up at the, the last bar they're going to go to before they go out to the lake cabin or whatever they plan on going to with just uh, the girls true story this just happened last weekend with professor and i like we were just out enjoying some nachos and yeah i purposely got nachos like stuntman mike. old uh stuntman mike uh we were playing out a fun evening and uh next thing you know i'm finger banged in a car <laughs> doing 80 <laughs> so here's one thing that i love about this cut versus the the the, the singular release is that, uh, so the thing is, is that Jungle Julia says that her friend is in town and, and she'll do a lap dance for someone who says this phrase. And I remember seeing this in the theater and when it gets to the part where she's going to do the lap <laughs> dance for Stuntman Mike, it goes real lost. Yeah. In Tarantino's cut, it's not. And I was like, eh, it was kind of more fun when the reel was lost, you know what I mean? Cause it just added well, to well, that. And to touch on that too. And, uh, and planet terror when, when they're having sex, yes, they're getting ready to have sex and it's like lost scene. And then it's just a burning building and they're trying to get out. Yeah, so. You don't get any of the lead up. <laughs> um, so, but I love the lead up to that. Something Mike being like, Oh, well you're, you're chicken shit in my book. You know how some people say they, they're all right in my book. Well, I actually have a book. <laughs> And your name is going into it because you're Which, no good. I like that he sounds like John Wayne doing that. Yeah. Like, you're all right in my book. You're all right I love it too book. because you can tell the entire time Kurt Russell's just having a damn blast. Yes. He's eating well, up every second of it. I think that's the thing about this movie. I think you elevate your movie to a different level when Kurt Russell's in it. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what makes this a better film. Like, almost... As far as cinema goes, when it's sitting next to Planet Terror, yeah, it just it Kurt Russell gives it more credibility. There's a lot of people who like Planet Terror better, but and I can see it if yeah. that's your bag. But, but as me, a movie, I think that Death oh, Proof blows yeah, it away. I, I feel like Death Proof is a harder sell on people, and I'm like, but I lo- I love both Death Proof. It is, what, Kurt Russell's the salesman ways. for that movie. What Zoe Bell does alone. On oh the man, the that stunts car. the stunts that she does. Yeah. Makes no. it worth watching. Yeah, that's true. Real quick, I just have to say, that's really unnerving when he gives Rose McGowan that ride home. Oh. And he's like, well, which way are we going? She's like, oh, I'm going that way. He's like, well, I wish this would have taken longer. Yeah. Because now's when it gets really scary. Yep. <laughs> and he starts, you know, using the car to beat which, her which, up. But you mentioned, yeah. that's where we get the, the death proof, that the car yeah. is death proof. This car is death proof. But the thing is, you got to be sitting in my seat. <laughs> and so then he goes on and he crashes into our girls from earlier. Oh, God, that scene. Who no, are playing that song. Ass. Playing that song by. Oh, I can't remember all those names. Dave D. The song's called Hold Mitch Tight. Mitch and Tish. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and they're all cute, like playing along in the car. But man, when they hit head on, you know, he comes at him with his headlights off and then turns them on right before he hits. And we get cut scenes of every person's reaction and what happens oh. to him when Jungle Julia's leg flies off oh, and for, bounces yeah. on the asphalt. What but about man, the tire? Of the that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, man. that's the ultimate one, right? Woo! I know it's coming. I've seen it a, a handful of times now, and every time I just go. Oh yeah, oh <laughs> beautifully done. Yeah, and, and there's your exploitation. Wow. Yeah, the fact that he makes a point to show you how everyone gets destroyed well, by this yeah. one. I, I, I love, I love too how he just preyed on like these these chicks, and then so it's a a little bit of time has passed and he's preying on a few like other innocent chicks. Yeah, that that and, aren't. And when we go to the hospital, we hear the cops talking, and the key for him is they point out those girls had been drinking, he hadn't. And when he's in the bar, he points out, "No, no, I'm having, I'm building my I'm way a up to a, a virgin pina colada." So we know he's not drinking, and that's why. Yep. And so it can be blamed on them, head-on crash in the center of the road. Yep. And it seems like this is the only way that he can shoot his goo. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, How the about when he puts it. that seat in? Like you're not riding in a car seat next to him. It's like this little scoop seat off of an mm. old 1920s tractor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then you're like, as soon as you see him put that in, it's like, oh, man. But yeah, the I remember the first time watching this being like, okay, I'm enjoying the music and the dialogue like any Tarantino movie. But we're kind of static. We usually move around in Tarantino's. Why are we still in this bar for half the movie? And then when he explains the car and ra- just races off with her, my mind was blown. I was like... And I, I was, what an idea for a movie. We've got a death-proof stunt car that a guy's using to kill other people with. Like, yeah. It's so much fun. It is. It is. It's a good flick. It is most definitely a good flick. So I, I love that, that it's built up here, but then it, then it takes another twist with the other the other girls. Where you take the build-up all over again. Which, which, again, like the other girls are all talking about screwing guys and stuff. And then we get... Uh, Tracy Toms we got and, stunt and Zoe Bell who are like geeking out over stunt driving yeah. and Zoe Bell is like like they're just nerds over all these like old school yeah, racing isn't and, that in Tennessee is where they yeah I think Tennessee that. now uh, but, yeah it's like he picked the wrong group of girls to fuck with he's got stunt driving I like <laughs> when it, when uh, he's been shot oh. and he's in the car and this guy who's this creepy bastard who's preying on these young Skull girls is a total pussy <laughs> Total <laughs> pussy inside of his car when he actually gets hurt. Total pussy. So when he, the one point where they think that you know Zoe's on the front of the car and they think she that she flies off and they think she's dead, she jumps up. She's like, "I'm okay." Yo, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> they're all like starting to cry in the car. Yeah. What's the name of the game they're playing? That they call it? Uh, ship's mast. Yes, the ship's mast. Yeah. But yeah, and they go get the same car as in Vanishing Point. Which I can't stress enough how fun Vanishing Point is if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But it's intense watching Zoe Bell do that. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. And she's a stunt woman. Yeah. It's like, you know, she's going to be all right in real life, but it still makes you stop breathing watching. Oh, yeah. It's like, you crazy. And the the fact, too, that they're they're doing this legit. They're doing real stunts. They're not doing CGI. Certainly. And you can tell that just by watching her run and jump through the window to get back in the car because they decide after uh, Kurt Russell catches up with him and tries to attack him, uh, that they're going to have their way with him. And that basically he's screwed with the wrong group. And I lo- so they I love go that after he's, him. I love that he's like, 
this was a good game, girl. That was yeah. fun. And, yeah. And, and then, then he goes to take off, and they're like, oh, hell no. And then they get him out of the car, and they <laughs> beat, beat the, beat the shit out of him. Beat the shit out of him. And then smash his face in. Yes. And, with the and, ageless ro- wonder Rosario mm, Dawson. And then <laughs> the, the end. The end. Ben. So, boy, there it is. We just took the last three hours to talk about Todd's movie. <laughs> but uh, glad we watched it. Check out Grindhouse if you're a fan of the genre. Watch it's it. Re- it's real good. Watch it. And get Grindhouse. Don't get the two movies by themselves. Get them uh, in this setup on Blu-ray. You'll be glad you did. And, and I, w- I will say, too, because uh, we, why we were in Austin, Texas, like the, the actual... Um, what is it? The chili, chili, Texas chili parlor, Texas chili parlor, uh, straight up exactly like the movie looks all that's same changed signs. is some signs or like same signs. They've moved a few of them around. There's no jukebox, but we actually sat at the table where the jukebox would have been, uh, stuntman Mike, which was some old dude at the bar. Uh, definitely a cool place to check out. Nice. Uh, the strip club, uh, which was used in a lot of other films like varsity blues. We only did the exterior. We didn't want to go in and get our ass kicked for get, taking pictures of dancers. <laughs> Plus, get Texas crabs. So, good. Also, that I couldn't do the uh, Cherry Darling uh, dance performance. I was not allowed, so didn't see a point of going in. Well, I was, I was really just hoping to get video of you guys walking out and doing Varsity Blues and going, <laughs> "What's that smell? smell? <laughs> That's us, stupid." So. <laughs> All right. Well, Benny's like, never heard of it. I don't want your life. <laughs> I don't want your wife. Wrapping up another edition of the Monster Mash. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Benny. Hot toddy. Stay scary.